to recap very quickly where we are. In the beginning of Perik Yudchas, the Alter Rebbe introduces us. He says, I'm going to give you a new path. To serving Hashem. Beficha with our mouth, Bulvavcha, and most importantly with our heart. Thank you very much. And what is this new path? The new path is what's called tapping into the Ava Misuteras, tapping into this hidden love which every single youth possesses. And for the last two prakim, we learned extensively about this Ava Misuteras, about this hidden love. The problem with this hidden love is that it's hidden. There we go. Is <laughs> that it's hidden? You know, it's, uh, the name is the is the best clue that you can get. And as Al Rebbe explains, when does it become revealed? Page fifty. When does it become revealed? It comes revealed when a person is put to the test. An asoyin an kiddush Hashem. In other words, when the neshama is pressed against the wall, so then this Ava Mesuteras comes, it comes, comes out roaring, blazing, and then every, nothing can stand in its way, and it's willing to give up everything and do anything in order to remain connected to Hashem. So the challenge is, how do we tap into this Ava Mesuteras to utilize it that it should help us in any mitzvah? How do we use this Avim Soteras in our everyday life? In our everyday life to guide us and allow us and help us to learn Torah and do mitzvahs and stay away from Averis. If we want to frame this in somewhat different words. What we've learned now is That if we look deep, deep inside into the heart of a yid, if we dig as deep as possible as we can, and we get to the very, very center, the very core of who we are, the essence of who we are, we find there a neshama which is full of love with Hashem, full of a love for Hashem. That is our deepest and strongest ideal and conviction. But in life, a lot of times we have problems translating those deep-held ideals and convictions and beliefs into practical daily action. Not only, you know, not only in terms of a service of Hashem, we know this in general. <coughs> Look into, you know, how many of those things do we have deep-felt feelings? And, but bottom line, our behavior isn't in accordance with that. How do we get that our life should be in line with this Ava Misoteris, with this love for Hashem, which is at the center of our being. So what we're going to do in the next few chapters is we're going to establish that every single mitzvah that we do is related to the mitzvah of emunah Hashem and achtos Hashem, belief in Hashem and the unity of Hashem. Every avera is related to avedazara. So if we were to if we give up our life for our relationship with Hashem and not to reject Him, the same is true with every mitzvah, and the same is true with every avera.
And if we can internalize these ideas, then we can utilize our Ava Mesoteras, just like we'd give up our life, not to worship Aved Zara, we can have that exact same approach to every Avera. Not that necessarily we give up our life for every Avera, because the Torah tells us not to. Not to. But the point is, but the, 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 the depth of feeling that we experience, we can experience for every Avera, and we can experience for every mitzvah. Does it make difference lishma or lo lishma when you make a mitzvah? You can have the same feeling? We'll have to figure that out as we go along. We'll see. Okay. Perichov. Vihine, mudaz, it is known to everyone. Ki mitzvah va'azharas avedazara. The mitzvah and the aver of avedazara, in other words, the two sides of the coin, the mitzvah to believe in Hashem and the aver of avedazara, shehem shnei dibrei sar yishoinim. They are the first two of the Asaris Adivris, they include the entire Torah. The first Dibur, the first of the Ten Commandments, the first of the Dibris, it includes within it all the 248 positive mitzvahs. And the prohibition of Avedazara includes in it all 365 of the negative commandments. Therefore, we know the only two mitzvahs that we heard from Hashem directly Himself is Anoichi and Layelacha. You know, the famous is Torah Sivalanu Moshe, that we received the Torah from Moshe. The word Torah, the gematria of Torah is. How much is Torah? The word Torah, the gematria, is 611. Tov is 400, and Vav is 6, that's 406, and Resh is 200, so 606, and Hey is 5. So Torah Tzivalana Moshe means that from Moshe we received 611 mitzvahs. And the other two, we didn't receive from Moshe, but then we received directly Mepiyah correct. Why did Hashem tell us only two mitzvahs? It's funny, if He had to tell us the whole, if, if we have to hear the mitzvahs from Hashem, we should have heard all the 613 mitzvahs. If for some reason it's unnecessary and it's fine to go through Moshe, then we should have heard all 613 from Moshe. But the answer is over here. We heard all 613 mitzvahs from Hashem. But as they are included in Anoichi La'yilcha, Anoichi includes all the mitzvahs Hasei, and La'yilcha includes all the mitzvahs Le'yilcha. Yeah. Razal, Chazal tell us that these two we heard from Hashem. Because they encompass the entire Torah. We have to understand this well. In other words, what does this mean? In other words, these are words. That Anoichi includes all the mitzvahs and Loyilacha includes all the Averis. What does that mean? So, when most people on a simple level we understand it like this that um, why do I do every mitzvah? Because I believe in Hashem. So, why do I, uh, why do I put on tefillin? Why do I wear tzitzis? Why do I. Uh, Make brachas because if I if there wasn't anoichi if it weren't for that foundation of belief in Hashem I wouldn't do any mitzvahs and the same thing is lo yilacha why 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 won't I do any why will I never rebel against Hashem if chas v'shalom a person is to believe in another entity other than Hashem so then there's another power which can exert control over me and tell me what to do and what not to do so I can maybe do an avera because I I believe in another power. So these two mitzvahs, the idea that I believe in Hashem and that Hashem is the only Hashem and there is no other power other than Him are absolutely 
in, integral to my doing mitzvahs because absent either one of these two, all, all the mitzvahs fall apart. Chas v'shom, a person doesn't believe in Hashem, he won't do mitzvahs. Even if he does believe in Hashem, but he believes there's another power, so then he might do not do a mitzvah, he might do an avera because he is um, under the influence of the other power. That's a simple understanding. But if you go that way, that means that Anoichi and Layilacha are the foundation of Torah. But he doesn't say that here. No. So it's equivalent to. He said that's equivalent to the. He said includes. It encompasses. Encompasses doesn't mean a foundation. And that's difficult to understand. What does it mean that when I'm shaking a lulav, that's included, encompassed in Anoichi Hashem Alekecha? That's more difficult to understand. We got Mela to say that Anoichi is the foundation of Altera. That's great. But that it includes all the mitzvahs. How does it include all the mitzvahs? How does Layilcha include all the Averis? So that's Dr. Rebbe says over here, Levayr, Hetev, Inyanzeh. We have to explain this well. So Tzarech, Lahaskir, Tchila, we first, we have to mention Biktsara in short. In short means it's going to be only three chapters. The concept of Hashem's unity. And the reason why he says here that it's in short is because the second part of Tanya, which is called Shariqat Vamuna, this is called the Kuti Amarim, the second book of Tanya, which is 12 chapters, is devoted completely to this topic. So this is the, short, the, the shorter version. And the second part of Tanya, we get the longer version. So we're going to talk about Achtos Hashem. What is ach? What does achdus Hashem mean? Unity. What does that mean? What does it mean when we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad? What does that mean? What does it mean Hashem is one? Oh, you cheated! I saw you looking. No, no you weren't. Uh, that's yeah. That's the Enid Movad exactly. Inside, Shenikra Yachudim Yuchad that Hashem is called not only is he called Echad but Chazal also called Hashem Yachid. What is the difference between Echad and Yachid? Echad means one, and Yachid means the only one. There's a big difference because I could have Echad one, and then there could be another one, another one, another one. Yachid means there's nobody else. There's nothing else. And according to Chassidus, what does Achdus Hashem mean? What is the unity of Hashem? There are really three levels. On the very, very simple level, Achdus Hashem means there's only one Hashem. Only one Hashem. Pashup Shat. One and not two, as Rambam says. This, this Hashem we believe is one and not two. On a deeper level, Achdus Hashem means that there is nothing other than Hashem that has any control. And this is really part of the mitzvah of Achdus Hashem. In other words, the opposite of what's called Shituf. Shituf means it's possible to believe in Hashem as many of the Goyim did throughout the generations, and possibly even today. But they say that Hashem is the Elakah de Elakaya. Elakah de Elakaya means He is the God of Gods. He is the ultimate one in control. He is the big boss. He is the creator. But there are the smaller bosses. The smaller bosses could be the sun and the moon, emissaries, right? But emissaries who have control, who have power. Control and power that was given to them by Hashem, perhaps. But ultimately... There are other entities that exert control over me or over the universe. 
even if they are on a lower level. For example, like a king. Okay, so right now we have a new president, president-elect. So part of the job of the president-elect is that right now, this is the big, uh, he has to create a cabinet. And when you create a cabinet, every single, every single member of the cabinet exerts control. The Secretary of Treasury has, has control in the area of the Secretary of Treasury, in the area of the Treasury. And you know who helped him to elect all of them? His son-in-law, that is religious Jew. Okay. It's unbelievable. I read it today. It's unbelievable. That's true. And then you have the Secretary of Ikhvayis of uh, Homeland Security as control in the area of Homeland Security. And uh, all, all these positions come with considerable power. Now, who is the one who installs them is the president. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm not an expert in politics, but I believe that at any point the president can also remove them, ask for the resignation. However, as long as they're in power, they exert control. So if I want, I'm trying to think of an example, but if I, I need a favor, I don't go to the president, I'll go to the secretary that, uh, that and what's within the secretary's control to give me my favor or not. So that's the way that going many times looked. Hashem is the president. Hashem is the ultimate one in control. And if he wants, he can remove at any time oh, any oh, of oh, these. Right. He can override. However, the functioning of the world, he gave over into the hands of others. And therefore, I should, I should pay homage to and give respect. Also, the sun and the moon and the stars and all these other spiritual entities because they actually exert some control. This is what's called Shituf. Shituf means partnership, that Hashem partners with others. Again, with Hashem being the, what, how would you call it, the primary partner, the main one. And this is for a Yid, this is Avedazar. For a Yid to believe, a Goy is actually, there, uh, there are many opinions that a Goy is allowed to believe in Shituf. And their um, Christianity is a form of Shituf, because they, they do believe in, in, uh, in Hashem, but they believe there are other powers also, there are saints and this and that, and they pray to them. And so it's, it's Labdafke that for a Goy it's a problem to believe in that. But for a Yid, that goes against Achdos Hashem. So let's, let's recap. And the first level of Achdos Hashem is there's one Hashem and there isn't more. That's level number one. In other words, as opposed to the way it was, uh, you know, the Greeks, the way they believed, or there would be the pagans, that there's the, the, the God of the, of the day and the God of the night and the God of the sea and the God of the, the dry land and the God of war and the God of this. You know, uh, Titus, right? He believed that Hashem didn't have control uh, over, uh, over, over the sea, right? The famous story. So that the first level of there's only there's one Hashem, there's one boss. That's level number one of Hashem. Level number two is not only is there one Hashem, but there's nothing else that exerts control. But here we're taking it a step further. Achtes Hashem, he's going to say over here is the what? Shenikra Yachidu Miyuchad. The Eibushter is the only one. The Chol Maminim Shehu Levadayhu. This is straight from Musaf of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the Piyut. The Chol Maminim Shehu Levadayhu, whichever tune your chazan happens to sing it in. Chol Maminim Shehu Chayve Kayam, and also the Chol Maminim Shehu Levadayhu. And it doesn't say the Chol Maminim Shehu Levadayalika. We don't say we all believe that He is the only God. The Chol Maminim Shehu Levadayhu. Means we all believe that he is the only one, period. This is level three of Achtos Hashem, that ain't oid Movadi, as you said, or as the other places, ain't oid, there's nothing but Hashem, period. Level one, there's only one Hashem of Achtos Hashem. Level two, again, there's nothing that exerts any control. Level three, as explained in Hasidus, ain't oid Movadi, there's nothing but Hashem. As we say every morning in Davening, 
We say atahu atahu We turn to Hashem and we say, "You are the, you're the one who was before the world was created, and you're the one after the world was created." But the wording over here is interesting because we don't say ata That would be the simplest way of saying it, right? Ata you were there before the world was created, and you're there after the world was created. There's a, there's a who, there's twi- two times who. Atahu atahu Which is telling us, atahu, you, the exact same one, which who was there before the world was created, atahu, that's the exact no, same one now. Pirush, who mamish, the same one, nothing changed. So just like before the world was created, the Abishter was the one and the only one, and there was nothing else. Nothing changed. Today also, there is only the Abishter and there is nothing else. Kedixiv, as the Pasuk says, Ani Hashem Shinisi. Hashem, Hashem says, I Hashem, I never changed. And if Hashem created a world, and if the world is something, if there is something other than Hashem, then by definition there is a change in Hashem. He has company. <laughs> That's change. All good. All good. What does this mean? What does it mean that Hashem is the only one? I mean, it's nice words. It's good for a campaign slogan, maybe. But what does it mean? I mean hello? Table. Microphone. Me. I'm a very important person. I know everyone here around the table thinks that they're important people, right? What does it mean that Hashem is the only one? What's made us? What does it mean? Aha. So that's where Chassidus Chabad comes in. Chabad means that we don't just accept things, we have to understand. And that's what we're going to do in this Perek. We are going to understand what it means, we're actually going to understand what it means. When we say that there's nothing but Hashem, it's not a joke, it's not a platitude. It means it with 100% seriously. There's nothing but Hashem. And we're going to, this is going to be heavy stuff. There's no doubt that this Perek that we're going to be learning now is going to be the heaviest period that we've learned so far in terms of um, depth, depth of uh, philosophy and intellect. We're going to be talking about very deep things in this period. But this really is at the crux of what Chassidus Chabad is all about. is the idea of Eined Movade. And not only saying Eined Movade, you know, I'm sure I said this story before, but I'll repeat it again. <coughs> So when he went to become, a, he became a chassid, and he went to study by the the Magid of Mezrich. And um, his family wasn't chassidim; his father-in-law wasn't a chassid, and he was there for an extended period of time by the Mezrich Magid. And when he came back, so his father-in-law asked him in a mocking way. So what did you learn by your master? What did you learn by your Rebbe already? So he said, now I know that there's an Eibish around this world. <laughs> so the father-in-law started laughing. He called over the maid and says, tell me, is there a, is there, is there a God in this world? Is there an Eibish there? And he says, for sure. So the father-in-law turns to Rebbe Levi and says to him, Levi Yitzhak and says to him, see, you went for a few years to study to find out something which uh, the maid knew all along. That's what you went for. That's what you wasted your time on. 
So Rabbi Yitzhak famously answered, She says that there's an Eberster. I know that there's an Eberster. She says, and I know. She says, and I know. All, all the difference in the world. So there's the, there's the saying in Eid Movadeh, there's the knowing in Eid Movadeh, and, uh, and the knowing really depends on being able to make sense out of it. Because as long as our minds rebel against it, as long as we can't really you know, wrap our, uh, wrap our brains around it, then it can never really become part of our, our, uh, our consciousness and our real awareness. There's always that, uh, there'll always be that resistance within us, but it doesn't make sense. Even if that's a, you know, a subconscious voice, there is that, there is that, um, there's that friction. Rabbi, in the end of the shiur, allowed me to say a story about an old mikvada that's happened to me. Okay. It's a, it's a two minute story. Absolutely. End. But Eilid Movada is the most important thing. The ability to be able to face the world and know that Eilid Movada, and therefore there's nothing that can impede us in our way of serving Hashem, and nothing else is real, and everything that we see that might uh, try to, to um, you know, torpedo our path in Avedis Hashem, or all the temptations we see, it's all garnished. You know, there's a Siddish song, Sees the house hevel avalim ein oid movade. Everything is nothing. Everything is vanity. The words of the words of Kehelas, The words of Shlomo Malach. Everything is hevel avalim. There's nothing but the Eberster. And this is the ultimate goal of the Chassid, is to be able to reach that state where really, I being able to walk around in this world. But the world doesn't. Uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't impact you. Not, I'm not impacted. Ein oid movade. Yeah, it's the, everything is the Eberster. So therefore, there's Torah. There's mitzvahs. There's Hashem, there's uh, Am Yisrael, that's it. And this is the ultimate Madrega, is being able to actually, and it's not black and white, as we've discussed on different occasions. Nothing ever is black and white. It's not either I do know it or I don't know it. But Rebbe Yitzchak he knew it. And I don't know if we'll ever reach that knowledge of Rebbe Yitzchak But it's about, uh, it's, a, it's a journey. And the more we think about it, the more we focus on it, the more it becomes part of our reality, this idea of Enid Movadi, which is really the ultimate goal. Hashem put us down here in this world, and as we're going to find out in the chapters that come, He put us right in the middle of the biggest lie that ever was existed, that ever existed and was ever created, which is called the Elam Hazah, which is called Alma de Shikra. It's a world which, which lies to us. It, tell, it says that it is, and it isn't. It isn't. Really, it's Enid Movadi. And the ability to be able to rip, up, rip aside the lie and being able to see the truth within everything, that's the ultimate avoda. And when once someone once can then someone reaches that madrega, everything is uh, everything comes much easier. Okay. But what is it talking about? Because this world, not only this world, but also all the higher worlds, because also the higher worlds, they're also created. So they also have to be nothing. Why? Because again. If nothing changed from before to after creation, that means everything, this world and the spiritual worlds, again, nothing really, nothing really changed. They do not affect any change whatsoever in Hashem's unity, in Hashem's absolute oneness and onlyness. Though they were taka created from nothing to something, just like he alone was the one and only one before they were created. Cain, the same thing. 
Hashem alone yachid miyuchad achar shebaram. After he created them, after he created them, why? Mishum the kula kamei kolach shiv, because before Hashem everything is considered absolutely nothing. Uchayin veefes mamish. From Hashem's perspective, everything is nothing. Why is that? The creation of all the worlds, the higher worlds and the lower worlds. The fact that they are created from nothingness into something. Their life and their existence. Which keeps them in existence. Which makes sure that they don't return to nothingness. It's only the word of Hashem. The breath. Hashem's mouth, which is invested within them. We know that we say every single day in davening, Creation is not something which happened once, 5,777 years ago, and after which the world just uh, keeps on keeping on. But rather, creation is an ongoing process, which happens every single day. Hashem recreates the world, and actually, in this forum, it takes it further. At every single moment, Hashem is recreating the world from nothingness. Why is that? Because if Hashem didn't recreate the worlds, the worlds would revert to nothingness. The world can't, the world can't remain on its own. It needs the constant force. The Asarah the words with which Hashem created the world, they're there in the world at every moment, forcing it into existence. Otherwise, on its own, the worlds don't exist. It's like you stick a you know the, the vacuum cleaner into the plug. The moment you pull out the plug, the vacuum cleaner turns off. But the difference is that over there, the vacuum cleaner will uh, is not going to disappear. It's not going to vanish because the vacuum cleaner is not reliant on the electricity to. Um, to exist. to exist, but to run, and as opposed to the world relies on Hashem not only to live but also to exist. And in Shayichet Vamuna, the Alter Rebbe explains this at length. He says that this is the the big mistake of those people who deny in Ashkacha Pratis and deny the Nisim. So they believe that Hashem created the world. Now, if you realize the Apikursim of old were very different than the Apikursim of today, those who didn't believe in Hashem, we're talking about. Uh, you know, a thousand years ago, 15 to 2,000 years ago. <coughs> you see that if you look at the arguments that uh, the G'dayli Yisrael had with the Apikursim over the generations, you see there were certain, always certain, uh, certain basic premises which no one argued. That there is Hashem, no one argued. No one argued that there is a prime mover. No one ever was silly enough to think that the world created itself. That there is no creator. That's, that's ridiculous. You know the, the example the, the Rebbe gave once. Someone once wrote to the Rebbe, "How do we know there's? How do we know that there's a there's a God in this world?" So the Rebbe says, "You ever walked down Manhattan? I'm paraphrasing. Down Fifth Avenue, and you looked at a building, and say, I wonder if this has a builder. <laughs> I wonder if there was an architect, or maybe just, you know, maybe the skyscraper just uh, just happened. That's I mean, it's ridiculous. So the idea that there's a God in this world that was that wasn't contested. Uh, also, similarly, by the way." 
the Torah really wasn't contested much. If you look at the arguments that you know the, the Evan Ezra has or the Kuzari has, these are people who believe who believe in the Torah, but they try to explain different things in natural in natural phenomena. So the Kriyas Yamsuf was the high tide and the low tide, but they didn't. They looked at the Torah as a historical document, rightfully so. So they couldn't argue with that. They're able. They tried to uh, to manipulate it according to their wishes, but there were certain baselines. Which today the Apikursim today don't have. In other words, today some of that the Torah isn't the Torah, and there is no Hashem Chas So, sorry. Even Pare, even Pare talking about Evan Ezra explains he didn't deny Elikim. He denied Hashem. Me Hashem Asher Ashmilav. He denied the Shema God of Yudke Vavke, which is really exactly what we're saying. He denied. The name of the Eberster, which does Nisim, but the the shame, the shame, the shame of Likim, he didn't deny. He said that he is God. In fact, Etzba Likim, according to the Avinazra, is, is a re- re- reference to that. Sorry. Paro said himself he is God. He Pari said, said that he was a God. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He said I, that I made the I made the denial right. However, Pari also agreed. That there was an Eberster on top of him, but he considered himself. A, this is really connected to the Shittuf idea. Pari, the Pari didn't deny really the existence of Hashem, but he said that he also has power, which is a in contradiction to Achdos Hashem. But we're going on the side a little. So the Rebbe, in times of the Rebbe, the Koyfrim, the Apikursim, they were saying that the can't the, the can't be that there were miracles in the Torah, and it can't be that there were the Ashkacha Pratis is all because Hashem created the world and then left it to its own designs. He created the world according to the laws of nature. And from then on, he doesn't interfere anymore in the workings of the world. So the Rebbe says that's silly. Why? He says, what do they think? They think that, that the world is like a chveis, like a builder. a builder, or like right, or a clay, a piece of uh, you, t- you take up some some silver or some clay and you make a vessel. So once the, once it's made, the one who made it, the one who made the cup. The, he doesn't have to constantly be making the cup. He moves away and the cup continues to exist. Or the example you give, a builder. The builder builds a building and he doesn't have to... Right? But what's the reason for that? The reason for that is because the silver or the clay existed beforehand. And moreover, the nature of silver and the nature of gold is that it could be a lump or it could be, or it could be made into a cup. The nature of uh, of wood is that it could be on a tree and it can be cut down and it can be made into uh, can be made into boards. It can be made into into a house or into a building. You're not fighting the nature of of the object that you're dealing with, and therefore, once you change the nature, once you change the object into another form, which again its nature allows. So that's how they're comparing the creation of the world. The Rebbe says that's a wrong analogy. Instead, the analogy you have to use, Al Rebbe says, is Kriyas Yamsuf. How did Kriyas Yamsuf happen? So it says that Hashem caused a wind, a strong easterly wind to come, and it started blowing, and it caused that the water should go up like a wall. It says the Al Rebbe, what happens if the wind stops for a second? The wall collapses. The wall collapses, the water falls down. Why? The builder, if he moves away, the building remains. The potter, if he moves away, the pot remains. Why is it that if the wind moves away, the water collapses? And the answer is obvious because 
it goes against the nature of water to stand as a wall. Water is programmed by Hashem. Its nature, its teva is that it's constantly flowing downward. So if you want to go against its nature, you need a constant force to keep it going. So the creation of the world, which is Yashmi'ayin, obviously the nature of nothing is to be nothing. You want to force nothing to be something. That's something which has to be done constantly. At every single moment, Hashem has to be pushing and forcing this nothingness into existence because there's nothing more unnatural than for nothing to be something. So what do we have from this? What does this tell us? The fact that the world requires at every moment an infusion of divine energy known as the Asarim Amaris, the ten utterances, the Hashem's words. What does that tell us? What it tells us is, and put it in different words, that the world doesn't really exist. Is that, uh, no? Doesn't say that? It's, it's God's will that it, the world exists. Can't say, I can't say it's, it's there, because God wanted, wanted to be there. So let me ask that, you. That's the you're saying that from Yeshma'ayin, you have to have, you have to have, uh, <clears throat> God's will has I to be I hear. Does anyone have a counter-argument? It doesn't exist by itself. It's existing, but only because the just keep on holding it. Does it, does it contain the quality of existence? No. Not independent existence, dependent existence. So, for example, let's say we're sitting over here, and suddenly we see a rock flying by the window over there. So, we're, would we all say, wow, look at that. Never saw it before, a flying rock. Or would we say, which idiot is throwing rocks outside, right? Why? Because rocks don't fly. And let me ask you a question. When that rock is mid-ear, because someone threw it, is it a flying rock? No. no. No, it's a rock just like every rock that's on the floor next to it. For one second, it becomes a flying rock. <laughs> no, it, it, it's not a flying rock. It's a rock. It's being flown by someone. It's being flown. It isn't a flying rock. It's a rock. This world doesn't exist. It's being existed. It's being forced into existence at every moment. The fact that it's being forced into existence at every moment means that it doesn't exist. It's being existed by an outside force. Existence is being given to it at every moment. In other words, existing, you're defining as a standalone It's something that's a standalone I'm not talking not dependent on something else. I'm not talking about its state. I'm talking about it's being. I'm talking about what it is. Don't tell, don't tell me where the rock is. It's in the ear right now. I'm asking, is the rock any different than the rock on the floor? No. no. So this is no different than the nothing that it was beforehand. It doesn't exist. It's being pushed into existence. So right now, yes, it's in a state of existence, but it doesn't own that state. Just like the rock doesn't own the flying. The one who owns the flying is the person. It doesn't own its existence. Who owns its existence is Hashem. The implications of this, by the way, is staggering. In terms of Ashkacha Pratis, you think into that. Because 
many implications. First of all, the reality that you are encountering at this moment, at any point in time, is the reality that Hashem created right now for you. And if we believe that Hashem is etzem hatoiv, the ultimate good, then right now the world, as it has been created at this moment, at 9.40, this Thursday evening, is being created by Hashem, who is the ultimate good creator, and is, doing, and is being kind. So how can it be that there's any trouble or any pain or anything? I mean, obviously there is trouble and there is pain, but that's only our perspective. From Hashem's perspective, when He's creating a world, it's the most beautiful and perfect world that there can be. The world can never spiral out of control. You know, sometimes you set up you set up something, but then uh, things go wrong. Yeah, go wrong. The world can't go wrong because, by definition, going wrong is only as if Hashem were to remove Himself from the world, then it can go wrong. But if Hashem removed Himself, there is no more world. But those are side implications. Those are side implications of the notion of Hashkacha Pradesh. And by the way, this is. This is an idea that the Balshamta spoke about a lot, this idea of Hashgacha Pratis, and which is really related to this idea of perpetual creation. If Hashem is perpetually creating the world, then obviously everything that's happening every moment is being, what does the word Hashgacha Pratis mean? That there's a divine providence over every single detail. Uh, so, someone watching. But by now we know it's deeper even than, than watching. It's not like Hashem is, you know, the world's going on, Hashem is watching, and at any moment He can interfere and make sure, and just why, it's much deeper than just watching. This is, it's being, He's creating everything at every moment in exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's the, the deepest uh, sort of, um, I don't know what you would call it, it's not even intervention, but the deepest sort of um, control that's possible. Dhaka, we can't see this. Tevet is a story of in itself. Everybody says it was, if God created it, and Tevet is that it has its own perpetuality that's called na- nature. So Perichof and half of Perichof Aleph is going to tell us the truth. The end of Perichof Aleph, the second half of Perichof Aleph and Perichof Beis is going to tell us why we don't see the truth. So you have to hold with your question it's a little. A deception in itself. The, it's, that's the biggest trick that Hashem ever played. <laughs> now, in fact, the Alter Rebbe says in Shaykh of Amunah, the Alter Rebbe says, he says like this. He says that we know that there's that Hashem is unlimited. And just like no one can ever grasp the extent of Hashem's chesed, his infinite chesed, and it is Hashem's chesed that caused the creation of all the worlds. So just like Hashem's midah of chesed is infinite, also, his midah of gvura is infinite. And what is the midah of gvura? Is Hashem's ability to hide himself. And just like we can't comprehend the magnitude of Hashem's chesed, we also cannot comprehend the magnitude of Hashem's gvura. Because it makes, it makes absolute no sense that we, if we're living in the biggest delusion possible. We're looking at a world which is, as we're saying, is enoid movade. So really, what is the world? The world is devar Hashem. The world is the Asarim Amaris, the ten utterances, the Dvar Hashem, which are constantly pushing it into existence. That's what the world is. And we perceive it as something else entirely. But that's what the world really is. That's the idea of Achtos Hashem. But one sec, we're not there yet. This is, we're only beginning the journey towards Achtos Hashem.
So what is the world? So first, the first thing, the first step we have to know is the, the world is not what, we, what it seems to us. It's not uh, the world is really, it, seem, it seems to exist, but that's a farce, that's the facade. And in reality, there's the Dvar Hashem, Hashem's utterances which are pushing it into existence. So now we have to go a step deeper. What is this Dvar Hashem all about? What is this Dvar Hashem? The words of Hashem. So the Gemara says in Masech des Brachas, L'cha Hashem HaGedula. But what does Gedula mean? Gedula is my Sibiratius. Gedula is all of creation. Hashem's greatness, which by the way is related to what I just said earlier, because HaGedula Vagvura Vatiferas, Gedula is Chesed. So Hashem's great Gedula is Chesed, is his act of creation. Elsewhere, Chazal tell us, very good. Which means, uh, whatever. I'm, it's, I can't pronounce it. No, it's perhaps possible your pronunciation is correct. That means that the, that which we perceive to be Hashem's gedula is ultimately for Hashem is an anava. It's a hashpala for Him. We look at Hashem and say, wow, He created this world. And by the way, the more you, you know, we live here a little in this little bubble here in New York City, but hopefully some of us have gotten out, and you go out in the mountains and the, okay, we go maybe in the summer, trees, the trees, the go, go to Niagara Falls, the world is, is you take some time, to, and then you go a little deeper, and you think it's not only this world, but then there's the universe and the galaxies, and that, how great this is, how great Hashem, I want to see Hashem's gedula, Hashem's greatness, I need to do nothing more than look at my Sibiratius. Tell Chazal, but really you should know that for Hashem, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Meaning to say, the words that Rebbe uses in Amaymer, Lat Rebbe says, That's not the main thing of Hashem, that He creates worlds. That's, that's, that's Hashem's credit. An example He gives, imagine, imagine if Einstein was, was giving a lecture, and you were the one introducing him. And you said, okay, Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Albert Einstein, and I want to tell you this Mr. Einstein, just give you a little, give you a little idea about him. He has such a beautiful handwriting. And he knows how to make scrambled eggs like no one else you've ever seen. You've never seen someone make scrambled eggs like Mr. Einstein. And without further ado, here's Mr. Einstein. So when we talk about Hashem and say, Hashem created the world, that's similar to that. Not exactly, because obviously Hashem is infinitely greater. But the notion that to Hashem, it's His greatness that He created the world, that's like to say that it's Einstein's greatness that He knows how to make good scrambled eggs. Because Hashem is beyond and transcends the worlds. And therefore, the, what, what, what is it that creates the world? When we talk about, we don't talk about Hashem Himself. We talk about Dvar Hashem. Hashem's words. Hashem's words. The world was created with Hashem's Dibor. What is the significance of Dibor? Speech, as we know, is not something that a person really needs for his or her own purposes. If a person were to live in a desert island, they wouldn't need to speak. 
person who doesn't speak is not missing anything um, in terms of the complete the completeness of the human being. If Chas Hashem, a person can't see, they're missing because they can't perceive. So they're they're missing in their ability to be able to to be able to absorb. So they're not going to be so complete. They're going to be walking around and. Uh, they're not. They're not. They're not uh, taking in what's going on around them. Person, same person can't hear, or if a person is limited in another way. But speech. If I can't speak, does that make me a deficient person anyway? No. The only thing that it impacts is my ability to be able to communicate with someone else. I have everything. I just can't give it over. So speech is the ability for me to. Transmit and move outside of myself. Move outside of myself. And obviously, whatever we transmit, we can't really transmit that which is really going on inside of us in a deep way. Speech is a, it's a, a very weak vehicle in that way. It gives over only a little of that which I want to transmit. So Hashem's speech. So again, if you remember, we learned in Perik, uh, Perik Dalad about Machshava Dibur Maisa. These are all Levushim, which by the way, a Levush by definition is already something which is a garment. It's already something which is outside of me. And in the garments itself, Dibur is more is an external garment. Unlike Machshava, which is internal thought, Dibur is an external garment. So what part of Hashem is invested in this world is His Dibur, which is an external garment. So what we've established so far, just uh, to recap, we've established number one that number one we've established that the world really doesn't exist on its own. It doesn't. It doesn't own its existence, which is very important. To say that Hashem isn't alone, because another. Let's back up a little. We're saying we're talking about Achtos Hashem. There's nothing but Hashem. So if you're going to come and tell me, well, what do you mean? There's a world. That's ridiculous. What is the world? Nothing but an extension of Hashem. Hashem is forcing. It doesn't have its own existence. You can't say that the world is a contradiction to Hashem's unity when the world doesn't own its existence. Who owns its existence is Hashem. That was step number one. But now we're moving step number two. What is the existence of the world as a Dvar Hashem? How significant is the Dvar Hashem in the grand scheme of things? And now we're going to argue that Dibur, Hashem's Dibur, is only a Levush Chitsoini. It's an external garment of Hashem. And where we're going with this is, we're going to find out that the ten Ma'amaris, the ten utterances with which Hashem created the world, in the grand scheme of things, to Hashem Himself, are utterly insignificant. Not that the world is insignificant. We're not even talking about the world anymore. Because we already decided the world doesn't exist. On its own. So what is the real existence of the world? Is the Asara Mamaris, the ten utterances. The next step we're going to take this to is going to say the ten utterances themselves also have very little significance. And this all is going to lead us to the grand conclusion, which we're going to get to. But you said Deba was is 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 a means to transmit what's within you to to a to a remote object or a thing. Uh, the utterance is something is the will of God to create the world. 
So you're saying now the deeper Sarah Morris is somewhat like that's uh, external from God, God Himself, or is, or or is just a means of a lot, or is a transmission line to convey His will. So what's bothering you is His will. We'll get to that later. But let me just ask you a question. I'm getting a little bit confused over here. That's fine. By the time we're finished, <laughs> time we're finished, we'll hopefully be unconfused. Like a transmission, like a power, like a, like a, you have a, um, like a cool power company, you have a, like a generator. Without a transmission like you can't, you can't transmit power, lighting and whatever. Hashem's will to create the world is not a contradiction to Achdos Hashem, obviously. Think about that for a moment. Hashem's will is not a contradiction to Hashem. To Hashem's oneness, it's part of Him. Will is God. But now we're going to focus on Hashem's Dibur. Hashem, Hashem's, in other words, Hashem's Dibur, Hashem's speech, the Asara Mamaris, with which He created the world, isn't that a departure from the way it was before the world was created? When there weren't these Asara Mamaris. The world, right now we're not being bothered anymore by the world. Right now we already moved it a step higher. We're being bothered now by the Sarma Maris. Sarma Maris, right. You're saying the world was not, not there before and it's not really now here without... without so Sarma Maris. But the Sarma Maris is something new. That's something new, yeah. Oh, so we still, so we still don't... It's still a problem. We're saying, Ani Hashem Lishinisi. We're saying Hashem never changed. But the Sarma Maris are here. I think the, the Sarma Maris was part of the creation of the world. But then the mamas, but before the creation, there was no Asar That's Mamaris. the problem. So we have to figure out what is the significance of these Asar Mamaris. So when we're saying that the world is Kilach Shivi, the world is considered nothing, we're not even talking about the world, we're talking about the Asar Mamaris. The Asar Mamaris are considered nothing. Why are they considered nothing, Tashan? So let's use an example from, in the, from the human realm. Over the course of our lifetime, a human lifetime, which is a finite lifetime, how many words do we speak? What significance does 10 utterances that we utter throughout the course of our lifetime have in comparison to the greater me? What significance or importance does any 10 utterances that I say throughout my lifetime have to the larger, greater me? Nothing. Nothing. So that's where we're going to move in Mirza Hashem next week with that. But I would like to conclude with a story. And then we're going to hear Rabbi Sasson's story. So, we know the Rebbe Fabringed very often on Shabbos, very often on Yom Tovim, and obviously as Chassidim, we didn't really know what the Rebbe was going to talk about by the Fabring, and he came, it wasn't like the speeches in the White House where you get delivered the, <laughs> the transcript in advance is given to the media. Only exception would be that when the Rebbe would talk about Rashi's, because there was, for many years, the Rebbe would speak about every Fabring and about a certain Rashi, so the Rebbe would, in advance, the Rebbe would forewarn the Ilam and say, forewarn. he would notify the, 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 everyone what Rashi is speaking about, 
so that they can study the Rashi well with all the Mepharshim, so that when he's speaking about it, they, they know, uh, they have context, right? But otherwise, when the Rebbe would bring Shabbos Parshas Vayera, it was almost a given, we knew what the Rebbe, not completely, but we knew one of the topics is going to be. There was a story which the Rebbe loved, a favorite story. One of the favorite stories. They repeated countless times. I don't know if there's another story which they ever repeated as many times as this story. And that is that the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, so that would be the, the Rebbe's wife's grandfather, the father of the previous Rebbe. So when he was a boy of five or six years old, he once went into his grandfather, who was the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, and it was... Uh, <coughs> It was in honor of his birthday. His birthday is Chaf Chesron, which is coming up on Monday. And he went in, it was Shabbos Parshas Vayera. It was in the week of Parshas Vayera. And again, he was a boy of five or six years old. He was born in the year Tafresh Chaf Aleph. And some Masadik passed away in Tafresh Chaf Vav. So that was, he, 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 Tzam Tzadik passed away shortly thereafter. And, so it couldn't have been six, that'd be four or five years old, not six. And he started crying. The Rebbe Rashab started crying. And his grandfather asked him, the Rebbe asked him, why are you crying? So he said, because this week in Cheder, I learned, Vayera Elov Hashem, that Hashem revealed himself to Avraham Avinu. Why did Hashem reveal himself to Avraham Avinu and to me he doesn't reveal himself? He's crying. And the Tzamaq Tzedek responded and said that when a Yid at the age of 99 decides to undergo a bris milah, he is worthy that Hashem should appear himself to him, should appear to him. That's a story. Cute story. But every time the Rebbe spoke about it, the Rebbe tackled it from a different angle. And if you really, if you look, if you look in the Lukut Yisichas, you'll see there's like so many of the talks about it. And each one, why was he crying? Why did he think that Hashem should, you know, we're talking about a four or five year old, but he was going to be a Rebbe. So he was a great person even at four or five. He wasn't a, what was the answer of the Tzamaq Because it turns out there's also two versions in the answer. What is the meaning of that? Why didn't Avram understand? Why didn't the Rebbe Rashab understand that he was doing bikr chaylam? Hashem was doing bikr chaylam. It says right. So why, uh, why he, that Rashi says that? So why didn't uh, just from every angle and questions and answers and the whole pull pull him in this story? But you have to wonder why did the Rebbe like the story so much? What, what, what is the point of the story that the Rebbe that the Rebbe really zoned in on and therefore repeated it again and again and again? And after learning some of the sikhs, it would seem to be that what really got the Rebbe was that you had here a child who was crying that he wants to see Hashem. And the Rebbe was, and many times the lesson of, the, of where the Rebbe took it to is that we have to instill our children with that desire. That yes, we live in a world and there's a lot of things around us, but if we can raise our children with this idea, which is related to what we're talking about today, of Enid Mulvade, and it's possible. And not only is it possible to do with children, but children actually, because they're pure, 
they have uh, more of a shaykhist to this maybe than adults. Maybe it's easier for them than for adults. But it's possible for the child and for the child within us also. Because that's another point that it brings out. Even a child could cry for it that he wants to see Hashem. And a child doesn't always mean physically. It can mean also spiritually. Sometimes it can say, I'm, I, I'm spiritually, I have not matured. I've not grown up. But we too should be crying for Hashem. And the ability to do so, to be able to really cry for Hashem, comes from understanding what we're talking about over here. When I realize that everything I'm looking around the world is Tam. Is Tam Meshtusim, is Tam Meshagasim, and Enid Movadi. Really everything is Hashem. But my desire is, as you said, if everything is Hashem, why can't I see it? I want to experience the truth. I don't want to live this lie anymore. Can I see Hashem? And that's a takeaway from the story and from the period that we're learning is that this should, thinking about this should leave us with a very strong desire to have Vayera Elav Hashem. And we should talk all to the ultimate Vayera Elav Hashem, which we're hoping is going to come to all of us very soon. Amen. Chavez. Amen.